Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your home on the Star Trek Overworld Podcast Network for in-depth discussion on the history, the ideas, and the possible future of the <laughs> My name is Matthew, and I'm joined across the continent by your friend and mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm glad to have you with us, Matthew, because as our local theologian, I think you can answer the question that many of us Trekkies have asked since the dawn of Trek, and that is simply... What does God need with a starship? What does God need with a starship? That's right. This we are comparing and contrasting Starfleet and Federation with uh, some equivalents in that other star franchise. I don't quite know what it's called. Um, you know, fun, fun, and some Tom Paris foolery uh, may well ensue. Just get the, the plugs out of the way. All right, you can follow us at Ion Cannon Pod Twitter, Instagram, uh, E Y E O N C A N O N P O D. Uh, getting all the all the Trek discussion over there. Uh, yeah, and also uh, Trek to be my weekly comic book reviews over on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcast Comics Sprout Wednesdays. Uh, yeah, IDW Comics with Heather Antos doing a great job as an editor there. Uh, IDW Comics come out on Wednesdays. I review them on Fridays. Just one book this week: uh, Strange New Worlds, Illyrian Enigma number four. Um, the saga of of number one there. Uh, next week though, we've got another one one book week. But uh, Deep Space Nine, Dog of War number one looks like a good barking good time in the comic world. Also, of course, we got uh, YouTube memberships on the Star Trek Overworld YouTube channel. Um, yeah, super chats, and of course the Discord, the the Star Trek Overworld Discord channel. Uh, check the link in the description below. Okay, moving right along. Got to have our eyes on screen. Uh, Picard. This is up uh, season three, episode seven or eight. Get into that. Um, one little thought here. You know, Joel, you were wondering with Worf's inclusion in this series, uh, would it reference, would it acknowledge Deep Space Nine? And I was really astounded, especially this episode came home. It's called Dominion. Literally <laughs> um, dives right in. I don't know if you're able to see it, but. Yeah. dives right into the lore, the history of the Dominion War, and uh, it's really yes. deeply connected to the whole series, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, everything involving the changelings and the implications of the um, uh, uh, that, that uh, what's it called? The chemical warfare that they they encounter has radicalized these changelings and um, tantamount to genocide, right? I mean, it makes sense. And so it's not only does it just reference DS9, it's deeply connected to DS9. And probably more so, we were expecting it, of course, to connect to Voyager and TNG, especially TNG, but uh, pleasantly surprised by that. I'll just get your reaction to, to my comment there. Um, what you, yeah. What you think uh, no, I mean, that's, I, I've always felt that, you know, post Deep Space Nine really should change a lot of what we know about Star Trek. Cause, you know, it's like, it's it really was like the federation went through the whopper like they they kind of they won the war and but like they changed you know and you know i mean there's always been some implications that there's always been the cd underside of the federation all mm -hmm. the section 31 um but you know this was essentially alpha quadrant world war ii essentially right. and they you know section 31 did some pretty shady stuff mm -hmm. um the federation and the romulans are now the only superpowers in the region Cardassia, they're gone. Well, they're they're still alive, but you know they're crushed. Yeah. Klingons, they're weakened. You know, so you know I feel like, and you know, just Utopia in general came. You know, I think if if the, ooh, sorry, <coughs> <coughs> <That's okay. coughs> I, 
Space Nine excitement. I never get to talk Go down to sick bay. Go down to sick bay. <laughs> Good technical Cough, here. Coughing up um, a uh, uh, little. Uh, what is it? Oh my goodness. What's the uh, triple? Coughing up a triple. Yeah, um, I'm copping off a triple. I got my cat, so he's yeah. not crossing up a triple. Um, but, you know, that should, like, shake the foundations of the utopia, I feel yeah. like. You know, the Earth got attacked by yeah. the Breen, yeah. by the Breen in the final season. So I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, Picard being post-Deep Space Nine in continuity-wise, that should, you know, Earth should not, the Federation should not be all... Happy go lucky, mm-hmm. and I even though I'm sure they they prepared themselves for the war, the psychological toll still remains, mm-hmm. and I, I think that is um, really uh, really interesting, and I'm really that seems really cool. Yeah, uh, definitely stuff. We will definitely get to uh, all that. Well, yeah, the, how the Federation maybe may have lost its soul during the Dominion War. That's a, a great point. We're definitely stuff to get to. We will actually get to it, but uh, guys, I just gotta. Gotta make a bit of a switch here. Gotta make a bit of a switch here. Yeah. Uh, April Fools, kind of not really. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. April Fools. April Fools. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, I gotta get rid of this backdrop. This is terrible. I love how terrible this backdrop is, guys. Um, make it here. so. Virtual background. Uh, get out of here. Oh, while you do that, I'm just gonna comment on these for the last second. Yeah. Brooke Chen goes. Just starting watching the original series. Ah, some Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. <laughs> there are eight hundred Star Trek episodes total. Yeah, really. Yeah. Are even are we counting the newer stuff today? Uh, Always. Okay, well, that's a lot. Star Trek. Anyway, uh, so April Fools, guys. I know it's April third, but close enough. I mean, everything <laughs> you just said, literally. But no, this is the Ion Cannon podcast, home for in-depth discussion on the lore. Canon, the whole High Republic of the Galaxy Far, Far Away on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network. Uh, that was fun, though. Uh, we are definitely talking about Star Trek and Star Wars together today. But uh, a little more seriously, uh, Bad Batch. Season season two ended the summit, Plan 99. Joel, you take it away. Um, thoughts on the finale and the whole season? Just one, maybe a little bit. Quick yeah, thoughts. we won't go too deep into it. We got plans. We yeah. got plans. Um, But yeah, wowza. Um, quite a, quite a finale, uh, tears were shed moments. Um, I'll say this again, probably when we do the, the, the big review, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of interesting of just kind of watching people's reaction to Bad Batch so early on. It's like, mm-hmm. why are they making a show about this A-team rejects? Uh, and now it's like, yeah. we're all crying because yeah. you know what happened. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Hemlock, amazing villain, great cameos. Uh, very curious to see where season three goes. That's mm. my short, unspoilery. I don't know why I'm keeping spoilers, but maybe because I'm saving it for the big review. Yeah, saving it for next week when we do. We will do our, our usual uh, end of season recap uh, and getting guests on for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. I mean, Plan Ninety Nine, especially. You know, you you talk. We talk about stakes. Talk about killing off a character and crunching of stakes. I mean, I, I'm. I'm I guess I haven't thought enough about it. What I think more about, specifically about uh, tech. Yes, you can say it. You can say um, it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's Wednesday. It's Monday. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, we Omega was just starting to get a connection to him. I think V or V, V was going to get a connection, to, was getting a connection yeah. to him. Um, yeah, they killed off the autistic character. I don't know. It, it, it was kind of odd, but hopefully... I mean, we know the storytellers are going to make good on it going forward. 
um, yeah, and really interesting to see how Crosshair fits into all this now, uh, especially if if he, he's turned as well. So looking forward to that. Okay, um, quickly, Mandalorian, uh, Chapter 21, The Pirate. Uh, again, I'll let you take it away. Uh, I guess I can. I guess you would probably do this, but I, know, I, I don't want you. You've only done enough singing, so I'll do the singing for you. Oh, Canada. Yes, Canada comes to the rescue Darn in right. Carson Tiva. Uh, mm-hmm. Carson Tiva gets it done. No, this was a fun episode. Um, I really liked it. Uh, just pirate action, uh, a little bit of New Republic, and I guess I'll we can talk about it now. Uh, the cameo, Zeb, um, you know, uh, I guess in terms of official Rebels characters. Not the first one I was expecting. I thought we'd see Sabine first before we see Zeb. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she's a Mandalorian. Um, but no, really good. Um, I think the use of CGI in terms of just, uh, you know, c- having a somewhat photorealistic Lasan, but keeping the kind of cartoonish yeah. expressions um, that kind of help kind of placate the Uncanny Plateau a little bit compared to just full-on live-action performance and makeup like 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 what you know Dawson is and like what what uh, what I hope Quash Singer's Lars Nicholson looks like as Thrawn, because it's just gonna be his face painted blue, even you know, because humans even are still a little stylized, like their eyes are a yeah, little bigger sure. and their their faces are a little I mean, rubbery. Chis, so kind of, yeah. Well, it's, it's probably just gonna look like a blue human, like yeah. kind of in that kind of way. Um, because that's but even like you know, like Sabine's gonna look different because it's an actress, yeah, uh, playing her. So, uh, you know. Uh, it, the, I'm, I'm like more like the face, like because even the prosthetics are we can look a little sure. different. But uh, I think kind of having the CGI of kind of more of a, a cartoonish looking Zeb because he is such a an alien creature, for yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, but voiced by Steve Bloom, so that's cool. I kind of was like, is that really Zeb? I thought it was just another list audits for yeah, it's just yeah. like Steve, and like, oh wow, it's Zeb. Um, but you know, uh, cool the pirates for fun. Uh, this was honestly the first. I'm gonna probably talk about this later on another podcast. We can mm-hmm. Check out, but this is the first time I felt suspicious about the armorer, um, and I've kind of been her biggest defender on the show. But this is the first time I feel mm-hmm. like, mm, are you trying to get into the the good graces of someone who could be the leader of Mando and be like the the cultural advisor, the spiritual like she'll be the king, but you'll be the pope of Mando's <laughs> armorer with a bigger hat. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you know that was the reason I'm like, mm, you know, this is a very quick rule bend. I, you know, it's like you you did that really quickly. Um, and you know, Moff Gideon's free. I mean, we kind of both assumed that was going to happen, but you know, well, we already knew. I mean, the the other the, yeah on the yeah on Instagram. But you know, are we gonna? And it looks like he got Mando's helping him. Maybe some left leftovers from the Imperial days of Imperial commandos. But yeah. no, I thought it was a good episode overall, and I'm curious to see where the next five, the final three lead. Yeah, I did wonder just on with Moff Gideon. I do wonder if someone really connected to Gar Saxon's whole thing. I was you know, yeah uh, helping him out there. Yeah, that that rule switch that was that was a uh, that was a weird one. That was a different. But you know, I thought about I've talked about this in previous weeks. Uh, the fact that she's seen the Mythosaur mm-hmm. for someone as deeply spiritual, as deeply committed to the beliefs of ancient Mandalore as the armor is, I can mm-hmm. see that being a convincing type of switch. Um, so yeah, but also yeah, maybe I mean trying to 
compromise her values, compromise her beliefs, not because she's more open necessarily, but to help hopefully advantage her people. I don't know if that's even necessarily nefarious in itself either. Um, could be just you know doing what she needs to do to to take care of her people. You know, that's also possible. Uh, I wonder what Emily Swallow thinks. Maybe we should ask her on Twitter or something. Um, I will say, yeah, why I saw I saw this thing. Yeah, at first I was all okay. Is that is that Zeb? Does it sound like Zeb? I mean, the voice is a little lower. I think the process, the audio processing, is a little lower. He's older. Steve Bloom is older. I guess that's part of it. But um, my second thought then is, why couldn't they just do this for Cad Bane? Why couldn't they just do this for the Grand Inquisitor? Why couldn't they just, you know, come on? Um, you can do it. You can do it for Snoke. You can do it for Jar Jar in nineteen ninety nine. Just, just do the right thing, guys. And uh, I don't think I agree with that. I know, not all, I know, not all the people will. But um, you know, about going, going up on Clanny Plateau, you can do that CG intensive characters. I mean, um, The Shape of Water won the Oscar. It has CG character for a good. I mean, a, a good chunk of of that character is a, a Star Trek actor. I forget his name. Uh, Jones, another Jones. Um, they could do it. They can do it. And it's more a matter of, yeah, here's the character. This is what he looks like. This is what we know already how we feel he looks like. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, Carson Teva getting stuff yeah. done. Um, connecting, not in an overt way, just saying, hey, I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, Greek Carg is in trouble. Mm -hmm. He helped you. He helped uh, Grogu. What do you want to do? Um, that, yeah. that scene on Coruscant with him and the clearly obviously working for Gideon. Um, she's obviously working for Gideon. Uh, that was juicy. That was a really intriguing little thing. And, you know, building towards ultimately, and, and this is Dave Filoni was talking about this maybe last week or so, ultimately building towards the Republic's indifference towards the rise of the First Order. That we're seeing that already mm -hmm. just the different ways in which a a proper republic response to the outer rim, just like centuries before, just like decades before, the way it gets undermined at every turn, and you know that leads to the partly leads to the rise of the first order, partly will cause the Clone Wars. Um, the Empire provides a solution, says we're going to just steamroll through the galaxy, um, but then also leaves room for the first order. I do think that is the function that Carson Teva's character really serves, apart from just being an awesome character and someone who really takes action, even though he knows he's up against it. Um, and it's, it takes a toll on him, I think. It's taken a toll on him. But um, yeah, now I want to hear his backstory. Now I, I, know. Yeah, I want Carson Teva to go rogue and form a little squadron. Like, a, I don't know, a rogue squadron. A second rogue yeah. squadron? Yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, I, in terms of, like, CG characters, like, I'm not against CG characters. Work with Jar Jar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Cat Bane thing is going to be just a, kind of a differences of opinion. I will say for the Inquisitor, though, we have a live out that we know what a live action Uta Power is supposed to look like in, um, Regis this. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like, like, 
that one just looks the cheapest. Like, yeah. and I love the Grand Inquisitor in uh, Kenobi, but like, he doesn't even look like a power and just like, like a bald dude. Yeah. Um, they didn't even put the, like big teeth on him or something. So that. So good. So like you know they just they didn't even put like proper cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do think like I can understand like why you don't CG everybody. It's like yeah. you know we have listen, we we can do practical powers that they that's what they are supposed to look like in live action mm-hmm. uh, on Utapau. Um, and I think the Cad Bane thing is just going to be subjective because I I like the model. I thought yeah. the model was cool and scary. Um, but no, I think they did the right thing at least with them in terms of like I think what he should look like. I don't think. I don't think a puppet Lassat is going to look good. Um, You've seen the I mean, costumes, maybe... and those are awesome, but the cosplay. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, no. Compared to, and then, you know, if Lars Mickelson is thrown, my guess is just you paint his skin blue. And I mean, they could his... do a bit of prosthetic under the eyes and whatnot. Oh, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll do prosthetics. I'm just like. But if there's a know. character that doesn't need it, I mean, Lars Mickelson, his face is already kind of there. So. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, and I mean, and also to be fair, He's only in it for what thirty seconds or something. So that's true. A lot less resource intensive. He I guess sounds that part. more like Zeb and as I rewatched it a couple of times. Like once I knew, okay. like okay, yeah, that's yeah. Once you see it, once you see it. Uh, okay, one little bit of news. Folks have packed their bags. They're on the plane. We are not. Uh, but CouchCon twenty twenty three up Star Wars Celebration Europe. Uh, just a number of days away. Starts on Thursday, I believe. Hype and excitement. Obviously, there's going to be. All the book reviews, book news, um, book releases, including uh, how, you know, Wave Two of Phase Two is coming out uh, just in the matter of days. Comes out tomorrow, I believe, actually. So, um, Cataclysm and Quest for Planet X come out tomorrow. Uh, all of that to say, there's going to be lots of hype and excitement. We will have uh, guests on to who were there to to talk about and talk about their experiences. But uh, Joel, what do you what are you hyped for? What are you looking forward to? Hopefully, I, panels, live stream panels. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm hyped for. I'm. It doesn't feel like it's close. I don't know why. I maybe it like I'm hyped for it. Don't get me wrong. But I just like it feels maybe because I'm not going. Maybe because yeah. this time I was like I I experienced what going is like. So I kind of have the ah, I gotta get ready. <laughs> this time I'm like ah, you know it'll show up. Um, you know, just kind of I guess like any good comic like couch con kind of. Mm-hmm. What is Lucasfilm's messaging this year? What is What's sort of the direction we're going in? Because it's like, you know, you know, last year was very much, okay, you know, we got Tide Republic, Mandelverse, Andor, and Acolyte. Uh, what's sort of like the future mm-hmm. hold in terms of everything, really, regardless of what, what ha- actually happens or not? Like, what do they want us to think is supposed to happen? Uh, obviously, Phase 3 of High Republic's coming. We're almost That's done true. with that. Uh, you know, are they going to focus i mean i'm sure they're gonna focus i surely don't want to sell us like and that's phase three that's it guys we're packing up pete um we're packing up um you know like <laughs> they might say something like that, yeah i mean you know i want to know what is you've gone so you've done three phases of this big old books book mm-hmm. uh process you've got you know by the way i got that jedi chronicles book and um, yeah, i love it by that. the way it's so great yeah. um it's lots of fun um but you've done so much of this and it, it's and it's like okay the this, this third phase needs to be the, the final act of the yeah. war against the Nile and all these story threads that we've been dealing with. Do you, you can't just abandon this uh, this thing that you build, right? Like unless you, like I mean, obviously we're gonna get the TV show soon, so mm-hmm. that that's night. What what comes under the higher public banner next, if anything? Is there a phase four? I don't know. I want to kind of know. Are you gonna focus on 
I'm sure they should just focus on phase three because that's what's coming up next. But like, mm-hmm. give us a little sense of is there a future for all this? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, and if there's not, and then I'm not going to say, oh, it was for nothing, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like this is successful. I can tell it's successful. It's the your biggest book thing you've done, bigger than NGO, mm-hmm. bigger than Shadow of the Empire. Yeah, what it comes next? Let's well, sing something. <laughs> High Republic is bigger than Shadows of the Empire, New Jedi Order. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, I mean, just uh, I'm so I always am good with people setting out to do what they've committed to do, and oh, yeah. to say, okay, this is gonna be this phase through. They've already said, um, uh, Dawn, uh, Light of the Jedi, Quest of the Jedi, Trials of the Jedi. That's what they've said. Three phases. Mm-hmm of this high republic marketing branding banner i really do like what you've said multiple times is this is an era this is an era of storytelling they've already started to do things like that the yoda comic for example um there's uh kind of a, a short story or it's it's tales from the rancor pit has young jedi adventures young jedi adventures uh is yeah the sheer the the show coming out um different media Telling stories in the High Republic era, um, that VR back to VR Galaxy's Edge VR experience. Um, also, the Galactic Star Cruiser comic book mm-hmm. right? as Brewery on the cover one. They're already tapping in without the banner, saying, "Okay, during the High Republic era and time, this time in the galaxy where they're confronting the Nile, but they were also um, the Jedi were a revered, respected partner with everyone else in the Republic." Um, mm-hmm. Those are compelling stories to tell. There, there are. I mean, at least I think they are. I like. So them. I'll be okay if they say, "This is it," but we're we're not abandoning the, the era. Um, but this this linear connected story specifically that we've planned to do. Similar point. This is shifting gears a little bit. Um, Bad Batch. I think they're going to do because they haven't said, and obviously the way season two ended, they yeah. haven't said. Uh, what's going to be the end but uh, i can see them doing what they did with rebels and they, again i think people are going to be disappointed people are going to be sad to hear high republic's ending people are going to be sad to hear bad batch's ending good means we loved it which means we like they cared about the show yeah um yeah people were yeah. sad to hear that rebels was ending uh, mm-hmm. but it means that they get to really tell a full complete story and um we'll we'll come around to it so i think something mm-hmm. like that Here's the biggest thing. I wonder what would happen if it's what Sunday night at 7 p.m. and mm-hmm. not a peep about a film. Not a peep about Lindelof or whoever else. Just nothing. Can you imagine? Anything's possible, man. I'm sorry. I got my I, I, got my, my, I did the thing and it's still sometimes deadly, but that's okay. Um, no, I, I, you know, anything's possible, man. Anything's possible. I would find that hilarious. I mean, like I would, April yeah. Fools. April Fools. I mean, you know, it's all hearsay until it happens. You know, it's all on official trades. The Although the trades are kind of like, you know, exactly. You got that too. Mm. So, you know, it's like, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to just kind of see in general, you know, what sort of the the messaging, you know, because, you know, as, as much as fun as these are, and these are fun, especially if you don't, want to go to the big panels mm-hmm. the big panels are just a big marketing play yeah. i i don't you know and I'm it not, is. it know. was like what, what am i doing here except for those john williams concert at the end that was fun oh yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong i uh, they are yeah. fun they are 
great to be around, but it's also a big marketing ploy, especially the bigger stuff. The smaller panels are like the fan panels. That's what you go for for like the community and like <laughs> true fan expression. Uh, but yeah, like that's kind of like in terms of like how what does Lucasfilm plan to market this year, if anything? Um, <laughs> I'm honestly the thing I'm even more curious about than uh, movies at this point is what is the future of TV shows? Because you know, um, we're getting Mando season three. Um, my guess is Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew are going to really kind of be the first true thing to really build off this next phase, mm-hmm. you know, if a branch out a little bit, branch out a little bit, but also yeah. kind of pull back the curtain. I mean, Mando's kind of pulling back the curtain a little more with the New Republic stuff. I think mm-hmm. Ahsoka's going to pull back more in terms of like, you know, Mr. Blue Man is out there. He's mm-hmm. doing things. I don't know what Skeleton Crew's about. I, love the dire- I mean, I love the directors they got because I love Spider-Man and apparently they got like the Green Knight dude and the, like right. everywhere, everywhere and all at once directors. So it's like they got some they got some talent behind that. Um, mm-hmm. We got Mando season four. And, you know, but, you know, although, you know, I'm sure maybe Favreau knows more than he's letting on. He's just saying, well, you know, this could go on forever. And then season four actually comes out like, no, this is actually last season. <laughs> um, Pull the Rebels, you know. I mean, yeah. hey, you know, four seasons. Yeah. <laughs> that's how many, uh, that's how many you got. Um, yeah. You know, you got, but it's sort of like, okay, well, then when, what, what, what is next? I mean, we got, Andor's getting in season two. That's the last one. Tony Gilroy's like, two seasons and we're out. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to do this forever because of our mental health. Yeah. Um, Diego Luna said that, right? Yeah. Diego Luna said that. And hey, I respect it. I mean, yeah. I would have loved five seasons, but hey, I, mm-hmm. I want them to be happy and healthy. Tony yeah. Gilroy's getting up there and so is Diego Luna. Yeah. Um, you know, Acolyte, that's that, uh, from what little rumors we've been talking about, that seems to be a multiple season show. You know, I don't know if Ahsoka and Silicon Crew are multiple season shows, and I'm kind of curious in terms of this Mandoverse story plot, the, the mm-hmm. big story plot, not just the individual ones, what's going to kind of continue on or not. I've seen, you've seen my tweets of like, I kind of see this kind of like Star Wars comics where it's like, yeah, Star, we have Mandalorian, that's like the main line. Then you got Ahsoka, which is kind of like Vader. And then maybe Skeleton Crew's like Afra. I don't know if they're going to do like a true crossover. It's like, here's the, the comic show that where they all come together, mm. like the Hidden Empire or, or how that kind what of what all... comic books have done for for decades. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of curious just how kind of they 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 clearly have a bigger storyline for the era. And obviously, you know, eventually it all leads up to Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious how that proceeds moving forward what shows continue like does mandalorian stop and then ahsoka continues this story plot moving forward but and then maybe they come up with a new show i don't know um it's it's kind of i'm kind of curious and obviously will there be shows disconnected from the mandalorian like acolyte and like andor like does kenobi get a season two for all i know it could could not I'd be um, shocked. <laughs> I'd be shocked, but I don't know. Maybe they, they maybe does Reva get a spinoff? I don't know. Like, I, mean, I would be, I would be less shocked about that. Yeah, less shocked, and I'd be happy. Um, you know, so I'm kind of like, you know, they're not going to stop making Disney Plus content. Mm-hmm. That's for sure, at, at least. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, kind mm-hmm. of where they go forward with that. And then, obviously, finally, I'll just mention, you know, 
Hopefully they announce some new uh, individual solo books as well. So, you know, yeah. can see more stuff like that. They, they likely will uh, do that. And I mean, I mean, they did it, did it in Anaheim. There's all, there are always going to be no, in standalone novels coming out. Uh, I will say you mentioned the very quickly, you mentioned the peril of comic books. I think they're also learning from Marvel's success of doing these mm-hmm. one-off shows that mm-hmm. you know, like Ahsoka, like book of Boba Fett was, we we've, was wonky. You've talked about that. But the, yeah, Ahsoka and, and uh, Skeleton Crew, I mean, these one-off shows that pull back the curtain on different aspects, right? The Space Wizards, the the crew out in the middle of nowhere, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, of course, the Acolyte back in time. Uh, and then, if anything, that might be a similar thing to Mandalorian. It could be like Loki. I mean, they were getting into another franchise already. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, the, the things that do connect. Also, Marvel has films. And I don't know if Star Wars has films. One last thing, two last things I should say. Speaking of comic crossover events, uh, the Ajax Sigma crossover event. Yeah. Definitely going to probably talk about that. I, I can guess. Uh, the Broken Blade in the Higher Republic oh, yeah. panel uh, that was announced on the last page of the Blade number four. Uh, also, listen to my Tractor Man comic review, including on the Blade number four. Um, I do the Star Wars comics from Marvel and Dark Horse on those, if in case anyone's wondering. Um, yeah, that. So, talking about different things coming down the pipeline. Uh, speaking of, again, of course, of fan panels, maybe, hopefully not smaller. Hopefully they fill up the room, pack up the room. Uh, check out Chris Abbott and friend Dom's stellar bounty, bounty hunters, smugglers, and gangsters. Uh, the scum and villainy through the years that their panel that goes to the fan stage, if you're there. Uh, the fan stage at 6 p.m. on Saturday, April 8th. You can have mm-hmm. Ethan Sachs and Adam Christopher right in there talking about their stories. Karen Duggan uh, and Matt Booker will be on that. And then uh, Chris was, told me he's he's going to be uploading that to his YouTube channel at Star Rock. Awesome. So, so if you aren't there, uh, check that out when it's out. And yeah, I'll definitely enjoy look, watch, giving that a watch. Um, all right. It's a... Uh, Let's dive right into it. Go back to this galaxy, sort of, but also not. Uh, yeah, take it away, Joel. To boldly go where no man has gone before. To a galaxy far, far away. I can't do it. Um, Yeah. The Wars, the Trek. Two franchises that, for some reason, the internet wants to think has some weird rivalry with each other. And I'm like, I never felt like that. I feel like Star Wars, Star Trek, they're kind of two completely different things. Uh, kind of two different tones. Like when people compare Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. It's like, what, just because one got sword and sorcery? Because the other got sword and somewhat sorcery? They're the same <laughs> thing? Like, no, they're supposed to be different. Um, but, you know, people are making comparisons and kind of like... Mm-hmm. There's a few. I, I wrote at the bottom, but I think I can start this. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't get the the rivalry either, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'll start with some few behind the scenes things that I kind of know of in terms of how they don't not a rivalry, but they're really um, um, certainly uh, helped like Star Wars because mm-hmm. of its special effects in '77 helped yeah. kind of kickstart Star Trek the motion picture in '79. Um, I heard that apparently Discovery, because it looked so good, special effects-wise, for TV budget at the time, you know, that gave uh, Lucas a little bit more confidence to, like, oh, we could probably get away with a Star Wars 
uh, TV thing and, you know, not look completely cheap. Uh, you know, so, you know, good, you know, hey, the season three of Manta's got some pretty good spaceship it, battles. That's, it's some of the best, I was just thinking that, it's some of the best space battles I've ever seen on TV. Yeah, there's the like speed of it compared to Book of Boba Fett. I'm sorry to duck caught it. Compared to the 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 speeder chase in Mos Eisley and Book of Boba Fett, oh. these these starfighter battles, yeah, mind blowing. Oh yeah, um, no, yeah. Are we talking about Mando? Or are we talking about Star Trek? I... Uh, I'm talking about Mando, but the point okay. about Discovery. I mean, because yeah, Discovery season one already was was mind blowingly good in its <laughs> production design, is special effects. So yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um. I know I agree 100 mm-hmm. percent on that. Um, it's, at least on the effects line, I think Mando season three's up the ante. Um, mm-hmm. for that at least. Um, but yeah, I I think we can make some interesting comparisons to Star Wars and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little tired. I'm sorry. We have to really take a break, folks. You get you get into you get, get some kind of... get some decaf in. Yeah, there you go. I know. Cool. So, um, again, the light. Sorry about that. Um, uh, I think, you know, the first one I think we can talk about is the Jedi Order and Starfleet. And uh, the reason I talk about Jedi Order, not the, the Republic, is... Mm-hmm. And kind of weird where they're kind of... This, they have a lot of parallels to each other. Just one's less religious, I guess. Um, one's more overt the Navy. Yeah. Um, you know, Starfleet in Star Trek... I'm waiting to confuse. I, I almost said it. And <laughs> yeah, I, you got it. You got it. Like, I almost said it. I'm going to confuse myself eventually. You know, it's Starfleet in Star Trek is like the Jedi in that they are very much, there is an idea behind it, but it also very much serves in the whims of whoever is writing it at the time. Um, they are like a peacekeeping force of exploration, you know, in the 60s, especially. Like, hey, let's go to the planet and, hey, look, we found some people. Interesting, cool, like, weird. Mm-hmm. These are weird people with half their face and they don't like each other. <laughs> um, and then, you know, their diplomatic corps. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Picard has families on his Starfleet that's also like a cruise line. Um sure. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Eh? <laughs> and then other times they're like this, the full-on military, you know, mm-hmm. battles and, you know, wars and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're very much of the writer's whims to mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, the Jedi, I think, kind of are like that in some ways. I think there's a maybe bit more of a cohesiveness to it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but they're certainly like they're the religious monks, but they're also space cops. George Lucas compared them to the mafia once. Um, the mafia, uh, but he calls them space marshals. You know, space yeah. marshals. You know, they get the they go to the planet, they make sure the peace is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one Jedi can kind of take on a hundred pirates. Um, so you know, they kind of they do diplomatic stuff. They guard politicians. Um. Sometimes they have armies, especially when they're fighting the cis in the old days. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it's just no couple ten thousand. Sometimes it's one. Um, but you know, I think they're they, they kind of function as like the Republic Starfleet, helping them explore outer rim worlds and seek out new outer rim worlds and outer rim civilizations. Mm-hmm. Boldly forests where no Jedi has gone before. Unknown regions. The show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I think that's. I think that's interesting. I 
I don't want to say I'm not going to do like my one world is more cohesive than the other because I think they both kind of have that. But I think it's it's sort mm -hmm. of interesting. Both the Jedi and the Darkly kind of have that sort of they evolve. There's an there is an, an uh, in unit there are they can be retroactively in universe reasons for it. And then mm -hmm. there's just well that's what the writers like. I think the biggest example is. Uh, Starfleet, the most Starfleet, Star Trek, the motion picture <laughs> with Rathacon. You know, Star Trek, the motion picture, which was full on Roddenberry. They had the, the weirder uniforms and kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Then Rathacon, they look like a military and they act like a military. Yeah. So uh, I'll toss that to you. Have you ever thought of like the Jedi and Starfleet as kind of the weird cousins of each other? Kind of, maybe not intentionally, right. obviously, but like just how creatively stuff like that happens. I mean, it's fascinating. I hadn't really all that much, just because you think more literally the Imperial Starfleet and the Jedi Order and the Federation Starfleet and whatnot, or the Imperial Starfleet or the Republic Starfleet and the uh, Federation Starfleet. Yeah, I mean, so the, you'd say the difference on the surface being that the Jedi have this mystical connection to the Force. There's this more Eastern spirituality if you can use real world parallels. Yeah, certainly. Whereas with Starfleet, it is a, a mystical connection to the Force. It's their philosophies and ideals that ground them very much Western, mo modern Western, uh, the the oh, American yeah. liberal ideal, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of certainly you know exploration, consensus through science and reason, um, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Mm -hmm. That's already then starting to get into a spirituality of inclusion that I mean, especially that discovery gets to of inclusion of optimism for better and for worse of uh, progress for better and for worse. But they, they both have this mission of the sense of uh, they're there. I mean, they're the good guys. They're there to to be the guardians of peace and justice in the Federation. Yeah. In the Federation. I mean, you know, Starfleet doesn't go beyond its jurisdiction, but you know, I mean, they here's an interesting parallel too. Uh, Federation Romulan or Cleons Romulans, uh, you know, Cardassians, they all look at, I mean, Cleons not so much later on, but they all look at Starfleet as well, an undiscovered country, the Homo sapiens zoning club, right? <laughs> the Federation mm -hmm. is they're the, they're, they're the jocks of the galaxy and or at least of the Alpha Quadrant of that. Their section of the galaxy and kind of this sense of self-righteousness whereas mm -hmm. uh starfleet offers themselves believe in the, their integrity and the mm -hmm. integrity of their mission uh mm -hmm. as we said at the top until they don't <laughs> with the dominion war and with, with not the dominion war itself right the mission to actually protect the innocent people of the alpha quadrant from this dominion threat uh that the parallel i'm making here is we have the Nile, we have the separatists. We have people who can at least latch on to what the Sith are saying, even if they're not the Sith themselves. Um, but who are the who the Jedi think they are to be thinking they're elites holier than thou, uh, setting themselves apart and above everybody. That that criticism is there throughout the saga. Even Luke on Octo, he has that criticism, right? Uh, of course. Jedi themselves, Rey herself, especially everyone in the higher Republic era, they all believe in the integrity of their mission. We are all the Republic. 
including especially the Jedi. Um, I mean, Jorah Mali, I think of that one page uh, in, in Light of the Jedi where she has this this confidence of saying, you know, the, the, the Jedi Council scene that did that, that full podcast episode about, uh, I'm going to follow the will, whatever I, what I discern is right, I'm going to follow, is going to be the will of the force, I'm going to go out there. Um, we just saw uh, Barash Sylvain have that kind of certainty the difference that we'll get to later on is Star Star Wars is a little more consistent we're going to get into this in a minute Star Wars is a little more consistent in uh, breaking that in breaking that down in sending I... Jedi into more impossible morally <laughs> ambiguous situations um, you know I think of uh What's his name? The 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 Jedi who becomes a regent of this planet in, in Master and Apprentice. Um, you know, I think of, I mean, Mace Windu, and it, it's just it's it's a little more cynical there. So that yeah. it's um it's interesting also in terms of like the consistency of portrayal with Starfleet that you know, especially like in the movies and like by the time they leave space nine, you know, like they're, they're in the Navy, they're the military and you know, they've always had the ranks captain, first officer, Admiral yet, you know, in TOS in particular, but less so in TNG, but TNG is a little more just diplomatic, but about it, but TOS less so mm-hmm. it's just Kirk doing his thing. Yeah. Like Kirk is like, uh, I'm Captain Kirk. Uh, yeah. You Admiral. Uh-huh, yeah. 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 Incompetent Commodores. Every single Commodore on the original series. Completely yeah. useless <laughs> because only Captain Kirk knows what to do. Right. Captain... Hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like just let's leave it to Kirk and everything will be fine. He can totally break a hundred, probably a bajillion rules, but he's Captain Kirk. Um, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they start. did a little bit of that. Um, in terms of just like Picard centric stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's always more diplomatic missions and like we must protect this officer in person. Mm-hmm. Um. And then with Deep Space Nine, it was um, they did it, but I think there was always more like we know we're breaking the rules, but we kind of have. But Cisco's the Cisco, so yeah. Cisco's kind of Cisco. You don't Cisco's, mess with Cisco. Well, um, there's the, that classic one. I mean, that's the that we've lost our soul episode. Yeah. I can live with it. Where he has, well, he he doesn't have, but the classic one, Garrick assassinates these Romulan ambassadors in order to actually trick them into joining the war. And he's right. I can live with it. I can live with uh, it. You know. And Voyager, well, Voyager, they're 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 not even in the Federation, so mm. they're kind of doing their own thing. Right. Um, I don't know anything about Enterprise, so yeah, <laughs> everything after Deep Space Nine, I'm kind of like I, I haven't watched it. That's right. But you know, I that's sort of the similar and parallel with the Jedi is that mm. I think with you know the Jedi have always felt like a. I've always kind of been more consistent of like knowing that they're a looser structure with the council. While with Star Trek, it's like you say you're of a, a fleet, you are a fleet, Star Fleet. You are a military. You got an academy. You got bases. You got mm-hmm. you know you got a, a structure. Phasers <laughs> got a hierarchy. Com- yeah, a commodores. But yet you know, and I know there's certainly in like classical Navy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. captains got to make decisions. But, you know, you got communications. You got, it's not like, you know, I know space is vast, but it's like, you got communications. You can talk yeah. across, you know, high command can tell you, hey, come back here, we'll send you, we'll send people to get you, you know, arrest you. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Kirk's like, I'm, I'm Kirk. Kirk, got Kirk. 
Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say is, thinking about the, the exploration wing, science wing, right? I mean, NASA takes Air Force pilots. Um, you know, they are still part of the Air Force or part of the Navy or whatever, but uh, they're, they're still part of a military unit, and yet they're also doing this highly advanced scientific exploration thing. It's, it's as if those things kind of come together, but again, with, with the Gene Roddenberry uh, it, ideal. It is. It. I think I was watching an interesting kind of uh, video about this, and, you know, Starfleet is essentially a super military. They are Army, Navy, Air Force, NASA, Science, Peacekeeping Corps, Diplomatic Corps, all in one thing. Um, so I, that's, that's what I'm wondering why we use the term military, because that's more than a military. Well, that's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, no. well, they use military rank. They use admiral. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know civilians. You know, diplomatic corps like, uh, you know, uh, Salvation uh, Army. <laughs> I'm Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a joke, but. I mean, I guess that's kind of just one of those things about fiction. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, you know, uh, you know, it, they're they're weirdly not a military, but also a military. I mean. Kirk was an admiral. Yeah. Admiral Kirk, I uh, said Khan. Uh, you know, Captain Cisco. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of interesting. They're like, yeah. they're a super military, not military. I, I, mean, the, I mean, that's, again, the parallel with the Jedi, as you're saying, is the structure, they become a military when they need to be. Uh, I guess with Starfleet, they're more permanently in that, that ordered rank, but, you know, they're they're masters, they're Pad knights, they're Padawans. True. During the Clone Wars, they are generals and commanders. Um, and, of course, speaking of losing their soul, right? <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. I mean, but even, again, High Republic, they still, still function. They still give orders to, I mean, masters on the council can, can direct a knight to go somewhere. It is true that a knight, you know, knights are generally free to do what they think they need to do. Although, then, if they really want to be free, they have to become a wayfinder. Um, and, of course, Padawans aren't free to do what they want, but that's that's just how training works and how growing up works. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I even see that parallel then even more. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're, they're Jedi scientists, I, I guess. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely... Um, so that's sort of like the two, the kind of the, the two big things in terms of like, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Star Wars and Star Trek, which I, is, are weirdly similar. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if Star Wars was, I mean, I don't think it is intentional. I just sort of think that's just sort of creator synergy that just sort of, it's in the yeah. air, you know. It's, it's, uh, I it's mean, they're both, the... they're both American products. Oh, yeah. And we kind of, I mean, American meaning, meaning Western you know, uh, there's this, you know, individuals within institutions. And again, we're going to go to this in a bit, but. Well, I'll get uh, to it now, actually. Okay, we can that's get like... to it now. Um, you know, individuals, individuals and institutions maintaining their, their personhood, maintaining their sense of uh, what they're meant to do in life. And what they're meant to do in life is to work with other people for the common good and the well-being of others. That's the ideal. Uh, I'll let you dive into that a little more, but um, you're talking about Camelot and talking about uh, the optimism 
in a way they're both products of 60s optimism but star trek far more uh markedly is whereas uh george lucas he was saying the hell with that <laughs> in a lot of ways um in some ways yes it's actually funny you mentioned that because i saw a really interesting tweet and i should have mm-hmm. uh, i should have saved it because i thought it was really interesting i should have kept it um you know they were talking we were talking you know which is kind of goes back to an early podcast about like how the prequels affect the sequels mm-hmm. um I forget what they were talking about, or like I forget kind of like what it was. Uh, yeah, still have, to have that up there. Anyway. Oh, good, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> and they were talking about how you know this one of the things about the the sequel trilogy is that it kind of is a weird mix of the original trilogy's overall optimism, mm-hmm. but with the prequels' cynicism. And I think the prequels is where Star Wars honestly has more cynicism. Yes. Um, in terms of just, you know, it's about the fall of the Republic, so it's going to be a little cynical. Mm-hmm. And George was definitely probably a little more cynical, even probably um, mm-hmm. in the 2000s, probably because, hey, we were met, we were being mean to him, and, you know, probably wasn't happy about that. Um, but also, you know, he, 9-11, World on Terror, yeah. he saw where the wind was going. It's like he probably felt a little about it. Yeah. Um. But you know, it, it you know, Star Trek is born out of the perceived American liberal dream that maybe mm-hmm. never existed. Of you know, America, we the Cold War, we're the good guys fighting the commies, and we're the democracy. We got some way to go, but MLK is the gonna mm-hmm. you know we're gonna have a I you know hey, it was big maybe it was a big deal you know having yeah. a, a female uh, officer, a person of color office, black officer. On the de- on the on the deck, um, on mm. the on, yeah, on my deck, uh, you know, being treated like any other officer, um, you know, in a yeah. Russian. No, oh, that was a huge deal. Yeah, or, or, and, yeah. Um, you know, uh, an alien kind of mm. little bit of everything. Um, you know, that, that was a big deal. I'm not going to take away from that. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's like also, like we said, Star Trek is the Federation has those military aspects. They are kind of the the super military. Mm-hmm. I think, especially, you know, I, Star Trek, I think the Federation is supposed to be considered the United States, you yes. know, especially Very in the so. early days. <laughs> and even, you know, even for pretty much all of at least the 90s existence, I don't know if modern Trek is kind of tilting that enough. I mean, or not. it is, but in a very different way. <laughs> put it that way. Okay. So, you know, yeah. I'll let you kind of give, you know, give, talk about like how modern Trek kind of turning it, but, you know, like 90s. Even up to Deep Space Nine, I still think see it as like America, mm-hmm. you know, and then you know Klingons are Russian, you know, you know the Romans were both be China, um, mm-hmm. you know that that was always kind of the thing. They never they they never really got away from that. I mean, the Klingons kind of became their own culture, but I think a lot of '90s Klingon stuff came from the fact that Soviet Union collapsed, and now Russia and Russia and America seemed to have were going in friendly mm-hmm. directions at the time. Not the time. Um, <laughs> But Star Wars, you know, that was born out of the 70s Nixon era. George was very much concerned about mm-hmm. Nixon essentially becoming the emperor himself. You know, yep. he tells the story of Nixon. Um, I, in a weird way, I think Star Wars also is... I don't want to say Star Wars is cynical, because I think that's that's no implication. Star Trek is positive, Star Wars is cynical. Mm-hmm. Um I won't say that at all. I think it has lots of optimism in Star Wars. I think its optimism, though, isn't as 
I don't think it's as institutionalized as, say, mm. Star Trek, where it's like, you have Starfleet, the organization. You have, you know, the, the hierarchy and the, the borders. It's like Star Wars. It's like, here's a bunch of hippies and radicals. Feel the groove, man. Feel, <laughs> feel the vibes. Like the rebels. You mean. The rebels. Yeah. And they take on the big, bad, scary empire and their mm -hmm. scary Death Stars. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where their optimism lies, you know. And I think a lot of Ron Star Wars has leaned into that aspect more, where you see, like, you know, Lothal was saved because Ezra and his friends and the friends they made along the way rose up. Mm. You know, the people, the galaxy at the end of Return of the Jedi, they all rose up people. You know, at the end, you know, it's not the Navy, sir. It's people in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I think that's sort of kind of more of that radical people power thing which i think you know george was probably into in the time because it was 60s and just kind of the 70s yeah. power man out of nam get us out of nam um yeah. i don't think star star wars you know always gonna have a bit of that 70s vibe even in the modern era just you know mm. i think stuff like andor can like give more of like uh more nuanced context to it but i think it's always gonna keep it uh cause you can't get rid of an ethos as i like to say so one of the things I think we're dancing around here then, talking about Starfleet as a military, the Jedi with their lightsabers, you know, um, the use of violence. And this assumption that violence, a, 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 an institution that has phasers, has lasers, has laser swords, has shields and torpedoes, um, as long as their motivations are right, as long as we get the idea behind them right, then... Uh, then there be the use of that violence will be justified. I mean, that is the assumption of American foreign policy for mm -hmm. the last you know, century. Uh, well, I guess, I guess since World War II, specifically. Um, that assumption that forgets that having weapons, having a laser sword affects your motivations and affects mm -hmm. your response to those who are less vulnerable. I mean, it's the classic thing of... Um, everything's a every everything's a nail if the only tool you have is a hammer so star trek at its best is a, about and star wars at its best is about has violence as a last resort the difference there is um you know star trek is america the benevolent who does have mm -hmm. the motivations right the institution right at least more traditional classic star trek and we'll get mm -hmm. to some things in a minute um, has the institutions right Star Wars with the Rebels specifically with the Rebels is mm -hmm. they don't have a choice they have to take this act, violent action there is no real other recourse and even Battle Scars I'm reading now you know talking about this small cell that has this conviction of saying you don't do anything the question in Bad Batch right we don't do the anything. Empire is America so that's that's just it is uh yes and and no in that it i'm it kind of evades the question somewhat um although you know there are a lot of people in the world a lot of people in the united states who believe the american government is this oppressive totalitarian state and their only choice their only recourse is violent confrontation now whether or not that's true the extent to which that's true I mean, that is the great debate of globalization. You can also talk about China and Russia now being the ascendant powers. Um, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> the extent to which that's true is is also 
a debate for Congress and a debate for elections and um, how you vote. You know, are, are you are you the Federation or are you the Empire? And the reality is America is always both um, at the same time. Canada is always both at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're some of us, we, you know, we're, we're kind of lo- locked in this sense of self-interest mm-hmm. in this use of military. But, you know, I mean, there's the conversation about sending tanks to Ukraine. Um, that And saying, okay, this is an impressive action by the Russian government coming to Ukraine. We in the West have a responsibility to help stop it using uh, using NATO, using uh, the UN. It, it's it's a fascinating thing then to ask, like Martin Luther King uh, himself asked. You know, um, in fact, I'd say Martin Luther King, his own his actual views were brought closer to, to Star Wars, and I think George Lucas had more of it, more uh, of his sense of things. And that I don't think Martin Luther King was an optimist; he was a realist. Here's the difference: is Star Wars is not optimistic. Star Wars did not assume that just because we have good intentions now doesn't mean we won't be corrupted in the future. Optimism is this belief, and I'm going to show my bias here. Belief that, yeah, like I said, just because if we have get the good intentions and we get the reason, the science right then everything will be fine and everything will work out. We'll eradicate war, we'll eradicate uh, poverty, we'll eradicate disease. Uh, whereas Star Wars is able to question, okay, the means by which we seek to eradicate war and disease and hunger and poverty, are they going to also then create more problems <laughs> for themselves? The reason, the way, the means by which uh, the, the Republic eradicates seeks to eradicate corruption, bureaucratic corruption, um, the chaos in the outer rim is by becoming an empire. And so what Star Wars is, Star Wars is not optimistic. Star Wars is hopeful. And what that is, and again, here here I go, is there is, uh, I mean, I'm trying to word it in ways that can be more readily acceptable and widely acceptable. Um, there are virtues, there are values, there are ways in which we ought to relate to each other. There are way, there are aspects, there are things in this world. Maybe you believe that things are beyond us that limit our, our ability to limit our sense of um, our own sense of importance, but also then provide us with a sense of importance. Traditions mm-hmm. call that the force or God or whatnot. That by moving us towards those you know, deeper truths of, of of love and trust that then in our own time with the thing we're called to do right in front of us that can actually create some good hopefully um not perfectly because that's the reality but hopefully and so when jin says yeah. rebellions are built on hope she doesn't say rebellions are built on optimism Runs up built on hope. Uh, if we give it, we go for it together, well organized. Uh, maybe we can actually do something, make some change, little by little. Uh, talking about battle scars. Uh, one wow. of the really interesting things. Again, this is a, not quite a spoiler. Just a theme is they're just one cell. They're just one group. 
what big dent can they do? They can do their one little thing. And so they set it to do their one little thing. And hopefully that cascades, as we see with Rogue One, they do their one little thing that cascades into Luke destroying the Death Star that then grows into ultimately um, the overthrow of the Empire and bring it back to hopefully, hopefully a, uh, a new Republic that is ordered on more democratic lines in the way that Mon Mothma, who we do trust, I think we do think, I mean, she, we even see her compromises in Andor, but um, she's ultimately doing the best she can in contrast to someone like Luthen who has given up, who is a pessimist, um, who doesn't actually value family and community and says, tells this guy who has this family, you got to sacrifice it. In contrast to Saw Gerrera, uh, they aren't hopeful. Saw Gerrera is optimistic. Saw Gerrera is optimistic that his violent crusade is the only thing necessary. He's up against the wall, his back up against the wall. I get that too. He feels like he has no choice, but Mom Moth, he, but he isn't looking ahead to what comes next. And Mom Mothma, more than anyone, even more than Leia, although Leia too, is always looking at what comes next. What are we called to do next? What are we going to build next? What are we going to build and not just tear down? This is how we win, not by killing what we hate, by saving what we love. Okay. There's, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's something I like about Star Wars. I don't know if I mean I don't want to oversimplify Star Trek because I want to I don't I don't want to make it sound like oh I don't want I like again I don't want to make it a either or situation, but I feel like Star Wars kind of knows that even if you do have good people in charge like a Mon Mothma like a Leia you know and you know yeah. I'd rather have them in charge of the galaxy the Palpatine any day I think we can I think there's certainly an agreement on that I hope, um, but doesn't automatically mean oh everything's fine now. Like I got the right people in power, then all will be well. Um, there are institutional problems. There are bureaucracies. There are just societal whole ways of thinking that don't go away. Um, you know, I I don't want to say Star Trek is like that. I don't know. Maybe it feel can feel like way that way, but I don't know. I I maybe sometimes. Uh, it is now more so, I'd say. But okay. Um, but no, you, you you give up. You give a a good point. I feel. Um, and I want to just clarify the point is maybe this is the way I put it. Star Trek, at least more classic Star Trek, is um, the good guys succeed because of their institutional support. Star Wars, the good guys succeed in spite of a lack of institutional support. Um, in, in a sense, or they fail yeah. because of their institutional support in the Clone Wars. In a sense, yeah. Um, I think Star Wars, you know, we talk about hope and optimism. Mm -hmm. I think Star Wars is, you know, again, I always hate, to, I hate doing this kind of like, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to stand right with I think Star Wars is kind of better at looking at those institutions a lot more than Star Trek can be. Um, but this is where I feel like Deep Space, again, this is where I like Deep Space Nine. I feel like Deep Space Nine was the first time we actually started looking at Okay, what is Starfleet as an institution? What is Starfleet as an organization? You know, Section Thirty One is like, if you kind of think about it, you know, what is American intervention but imperialism to an extent? Yeah. And Deep Space Nine is like, you know, 
that was their whole thing with Section 31. Like even Admiral Ross was with um was with Section 31. Like, yeah, he was preparing for the post-war where, you know, Klingons, you know, the Romulans will be their only uh rivals. So we gotta get ready because right. they're gonna be the our rivals to our the Dominion, not Dominion, Dominion over the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was even going to be actually interesting. So I was watching um, the Deep Space Nine retrospective behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the specials that they got a bunch of writers, the old writers, back to like break down a a, a future season eight that you know they were never going to make, um, and they were going to pass Section Thirty One, and uh, Section Thirty One. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, the they had an idea for like. What if Section 31 wants to destroy the wormhole and destroy the Bajoran religion? Because in their mind, religion is the thing keeping them from embracing our ideology of utopian Federation Earth's um, mm-hmm. thinking. And that's why they didn't join the Federation. And Bajor is a rival that we can't. A security uh, threat. Security threat, basically, you know. Uh, you know, and, you know, Starfleet, uh, someone said, you know, Starfleet is very much the white shirts. In terms of the federations, you know, but you know, sections thirty-one are very much the dark gray shirts of like, mm-hmm. now nah, we got time. You got to to keep the utopia yeah. alive. Um, I just wanted it's to not jump just in there. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish first. Let me know. No, no, no I, I'm done. But just thought about. I've been thinking about section thirty-one a bit because fascinating. So I'll spoil a little bit of the last Picard episode. I kind of mentioned this. Uh, so in it, there's. A scene where it turns out kind of the big bad of the ser- of the season. She's a changeling who was horribly experimented on during the, the Dominion War by Starfleet. Apparently, she does not at one point at any point mention Section Thirty One. She does not say, "Oh, this was just Section Thirty One doing this thing." It was mm-hmm. she said Starfleet. And now it may be Section Thirty One mm-hmm. is because this is, brings up the question: Is um the purpose of it in deep space nine is to uh is i i see it as this sort of ritual scapegoat the thing the nefarious secret ops downright evil things that governments think they have to do in order to protect their people maybe they have to do to protect their people section 31 can do that over there it can be carved out people in starfleet don't even really know about it very few people in starfleet command know about it uh it, it serves to cleanse the rest of Starfleet's and the Federation's conscience uh, while under, I mean, and, and the people in section 31, they self-consciously get that, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are Lutheran in, in that way, right? Oh, yeah. Um, the Republic, I don't even know if they really bother hiding it. <laughs> um, I don't think the, Star Wars itself bothers hiding it. So the, they don't bother saying institutions will need this will want the scapegoat to have their spooky clean image. We know the Republic is doing weird cloning stuff with Camino before before the Empire. The Republic is already doing that. Um, you know, using biological warfare again, just thinking battle scars in my head. Mm-hmm. A planet that the Republic ends up exploiting. Um, and then of course the 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 Venators coming over the Lurban planet and then uh, invading Mandalore and uh, everything that both say the Lerman and Mandalorians, for example, feared uh, because the why they were independent, why they wanted to be independent, and maybe even what Grief Karga is worried about a little bit 
uh, come came. I mean, in, chronologically, that doesn't fit, but uh, maybe while no, Cargill looks he, back. Anyway, yeah, yeah. my point being, uh, what Lerman and Mandalorians feared totally came true. The Empire, mm-hmm. th- these white clad stormtroop, white clad troopers, and their triangle hips, what they call it, Republic or Empire, they don't leave. They stay. They exploit. And they take over. Um, as we saw, we saw Mandalore uh, after the destruction, after the Night of the Thousand Tears. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's this funny contrast. I, I kind of, I mean, there's this other side of this. This is other part of this equation, though. Um, that one of the things I really appreciated about Strange New Worlds, for example, and Discovery Season Four, there still is room for more aspirational not optimistic but aspirational stories and you know that's the thing also that star trek does really well and maybe better than star wars is when they so show okay this is what well maybe they both do it equally well this is what happens when uh, a a crew works together to uh, address a concern solve a problem or confront a challenge um when they do it with integrity, with complementarity of roles, and and, and not, I don't mean a gender way, but commentary of a team working together, uh, a team of different people. Yeah, that yeah, it, that doesn't work. I I mean, maybe that's a, a parallel similarity, but I think, um, Star Trek does it maybe on a larger scale. I think Star Trek does it because it believes the entire institution of Starfleet is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like Broddenberry's whole belief of like we as uh, humans don't have petty differences anymore. We got rid of those. Yeah. Um, we don't use money anymore. Um, you know, we, we don't accumulate things despite Picard being a collector of things, collector of wine. Um, for some reason, he doesn't like children. So it's like contradictory there. Um, I mean, he also creates, makes wine. But. Well, that's true. He makes wine. Uh, you know, um, I think it's very much Ron Barry's kind of just more he's going full on where it's like high minded earth is utopia. Like I don't think in Ron Barry's canon, you know, section 31, the federation would do this. It's like, no, we did it. Human you know, race. We good. We did it. Utopia. Um, I think star Wars does that inspirational stories. I think it is as, as aspirational. Mm. It's just never like the new Republic is this really true beacon of goodness in the world it's here is the ghost crew mm-hmm. they work together they are family they look out for each other here is dan and grogu family of two they look out for each other you know yeah. uh here is the resistance here's ray finn and poe they went through a lot but the, you know they're still in love with each other you know the peoples of the galaxy coming to take on Exegolters. They're like, nope, we don't want your Palpatine back. No, thank you. No, thank you. Right. Um, Obi Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah Obi Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka, and, and even, Rex, and, and Cody. You know, even yeah. though you know we know where that will all eventually end up, I think you can be mm-hmm. aspirational even in the times of darkness. You in know, Obi- that's kind of my point. Obi Wan being inspired by Leia, like Leia is his hope to kind of get out of his 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 you know dunk and sees his old master Qui-Gon again. It's like, oh Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. So I think that certainly Yeah. I don't want to say Star Trek's like in denial, but I just think again that's sort of like 
Roddenberry came very much from America, maybe like too much of the, this is what good America looked like mm-hmm. without really kind of thinking of the consequences of kind of like where that can lead, where it's like one minute it's good and then another minute is got to invade Iraq because has got yeah. WMPs. <laughs> but we're going to bring democracy to Iraq. Um, yeah. I think Star Trek, Star Wars be a little bit more critical of that and i think mm-hmm. lucas is very much warning like hey the republic can become the empire it can it can't be safe but you know got big corporations and trade federation amazon and whatnot mm. it's coming down though i think again it's i think it is as you say optimism versus hopefulness yeah or george i don't think it's like maybe george can be a little bit cynical i don't know what his personal feelings on the world are going <laughs> but like maybe he's hopeful that people will you know keep the good fight going but yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a di- that difference there. I, George has his four billion dollar paycheck from Disney. I think you know. I think he gave most of it to charity anyway. But um, I mean, maybe another way of putting this is they're just tapping into two different ways of ins- inspiring people to a better society, to better lives, moral inspiration. Star Trek is the example, the exemplar. That's what I mean by the aspirational. At, at its best, at its most classic, I'd say. Star Wars is the cautionary tale. Especially the prequel trilogy. Oh, yeah. The cautionary tale of, of Lavin's when you trust institutions too much. And so, yeah, it's what... what institu- and, and maybe it, it's not cynical, it's it's realist. And hopeful within realism and, and whatnot. I mean, the, the thing is, optimism, barrage, Sylvain, certainty... It can motivate you, but it can also be snuffed out by by darkness. Hope can actually carry on in darkness by believing, uh, yeah, that my choices matter in what what I do. Um, but again, it, again, Star Trek does that as well. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, again, I, I love Trek. I don't want to bash it too much, but I mean, it is why I found Star Wars more compelling why it's interesting that new Trek is going in this direction as well. Maybe it's tapped into something more compelling. We'll see. I mean, you know, I think when Gene Roddenberry died, I think a lot of that was Roddenberry's unique view of the world. I'll put it that way. Um, Well, in his time, I mean, he wasn't that unique for his time, but. That's true. But the sixties, we were all hopeful. Uh, We were all optimistic at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I know, I think it's just different philosophies. Um, and kind of evolving. Like, can you evolve? I think with Star Trek, it's like, can you, can it evolve beyond the Cold War 60s, 70s, 60s JFK kind Mm -hmm. of Camelot notion, which, you know, as a society, retroactively speaking, we're looking back on that and asking ourselves, did Camelot lot even exist? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of younger people like myself, obviously, kind of look back on that like, no, I don't think it ever existed. There was no such thing as mm-hmm. Camelot when you had Jim Crow and, you know, yeah. still, uh, you know, all that violence in 68. Yeah, that Harvey uh, Milk and... And MLK, you know. yeah, you know, um, 
you know, I think something to be overcomplicated, where it's like, oh, it was World War Two, just war. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was. You, you should kick the, you know, yeah. you know who's behind. Which um, DS9 explores, right? Yeah, no, yeah, Dominion, no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, and, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, fight the Galactic Empire, kick Palpatine behind, take him down, buddy. I, I do think you're right. I think Star Wars, mm-hmm. Star Wars kind of has that realism of society is just one of the cycle of construction and self-destruction mm-hmm. like you got your good periods and then the roman empire falls um mm-hmm. and then thing kind of come back up with the renaissance um yeah. and, then I mean, <laughs> and then world war one happens things that, or even then it's not so much cyclical but there's always both i mean there's uh a classic Christian tradition, the wheat and the tares. Uh, this is a, this is a story that Jesus tells about a farmer, and you know, for the and the way I guess maybe the way agriculture works sometimes, or the way uh, near ancient Near Eastern agriculture worked, sometimes you had to let the wheat grow with the tares being the weeds, the other stuff. You just let the wheat grow, let the land grow with with the stuff, the not so desirable stuff. I mean, you know, a corn, a cornfield, you know, there's, there's a bit of the corn and then there's all the other stuff that around it comes up around it. Um, in the, only at the end of time do, does the wheat and the weeds get separated out. Uh, and so we can either be wheat or we can be weeds. We can live in, in, in love and, and hope, or we can, uh, be in self-interest and fear and destructiveness, uh, and also, that's that exists within us. That yeah. they both exist within. Us. There's a. I mean, that's the Protestant Reformation really went deep into that. Here I go again. Here I go again, Matthew. <laughs> um, that within us we have both light and dark. And you know, what do we listen to? Yes, people talk about balance and you know, self-interest, self-preservation being dark, only if it takes over. Only if it's the the thing you devote your life to, uh, either through violence or fear. Um, Star Wars says this isn't always the question before us, and Star Trek does in its own way. It's just not maybe as explicitly. Uh, yeah, um, I'm thinking about how you know modern Trek not using Section Thirty One as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think though, weren't there like classic episodes of Star Trek where like one of the cap where captains would go crazy? Yeah, well, it's the incompetent Commodores, right? No, I think even there's like Cap, the original Captain Pike went crazy. He he got uh, confined to, like he he was in, in a difference. He didn't go crazy. I forget how to describe it. He gets basically stuck in a coma the rest of his life. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there was. Um, I thought there was something there. Although yeah. to be fair. I think uh, I think when people think of like institutional optimism of mm-hmm. Trek, I think a lot of that does come with TNG, where where for what I've heard, you know, Ron Berry's allowed to go go full force, you know. Again, yeah. humans, we don't have a moat. Well, we're 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 a happy, completely beyond anger, petty differences mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, you know, that's when Ron Berry decided, you know, allowed to go just full hog mm-hmm. on his. Uh, universe. Um, I mean, again, he, was, he was giving an example of what society could be, what it could become, yeah. what we're actually capable of uh, if we just 
listen to the light. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's maybe the, again, the difference Robert says, what could happen if we do George is saying, well, we don't always do uh, here, but here's an, here's another example of what could happen when we do um, again, they're both ways of moral storytelling that just take different tacks. No, you're right. I, I agree. I mean, again, that's, that's why I always feel like the weird rivalry between Trek and Wars is always so weird. It's like, they're, they're different things. They're trying to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they're not meant to be the same thing, people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, let me check my notes just to make sure, because I think... Yeah, I, think I put it a few. There's, there's two kind of weird parallels I want to get into a little bit. Sure. Um, one of them is the High Republic. Uh, that's true. At least phase one of the High Republic. I mentioned this a little bit before, but I mean, Charles Soule, he talked about how the idea was Camelot. We are all the Republic. That is, I mean, very much we're all the Federation. Uh, and the Jedi Order, there's the parallel there, of course. Uh, Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy. Uh, Marshal Avar Chris going out and being the hero of Hetzel, saving the day by gathering everyone, uniting all the Jedi together. Very much this ideal of well, the Republic, even Starlight Beacon, is a very much is is very much a Star Trek thing. Of let's have all the diversity of the galaxy, all the different peoples of the galaxy come together. You can go in and you can encounter people who are different, people people who live in different ways, different kind of habitats, like <laughs> aboard a, a Federation starship or a Federation starbase. Kind of see that similar idea. Um, emerge another one i wanted to just briefly dwell on my experience of reading the thrawn 2017 canon novel is i i was reading it i'm in it i think it will i listened to the audiobook by mark the canon legend thompson of course timothy's mm-hmm. on and the way thrawn and especially eli vanto move through this story you see the empire having uh having this this role as explorers Encountering throng, knowing Cybisti, the trade language, having first contact procedures uh, when they discover him, not immediately shooting on sight because he's weird and different, because they have first contact procedures and this is what you do. What if they could be advantageous to us? What if this could be actually a diplomatic relationship? That possibility, not an exploitative one. Opening the possibility in the Empire, the Galactic Empire. Uh, and I, maybe this does tie back to, say, outbound flight and. Uh, you know the other the, the legend novels another similarity uh mentioned the naval chain of command star wars doesn't really go into it all that much by and large doesn't go into uh the way just almost neutrally as the, the imperial starfleet as neutrally just as this institution that thrawn and vanto have to navigate through um even their academy training uh it really just even that alone just helps make it feel more like Star Trek because Trek does go into all that stuff. It does go into navigating this institution because in that case, the institution is, is doing its work, a good work um, makes it feel, it just felt more familiar tapped into that leading us then of course, to cheer for Thrawn uh, Vanto as our insert character. We connect with him. We relate to him. He's on the outside. They're both these outsiders who find their way in, especially you know, your Lauren is is more understanding, more welcoming. Palpatine himself has these 
audiences with Palpatine and there's this understanding between them that does or doesn't fit with the rest of canon does it fit with the rebels thrawn i don't know but we actually are made to feel at least even in that encounter with the rebel on that planet um that thrawn has to deal with uh in, in that first novel we we even with uh, governor price to some extent you know she's actually helping him out helping navigate navigate the political institution we feel like this military structure, oddly enough, is on the side of justice and pursuing truth, which, again, maybe that's just breaking canon. Maybe that's oh, something weird. No, I or think... is it just exploring this other aspect? And 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 certainly Thrawn Vanto's perspective on it, and their 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 in universe uh, character development through it, because at no point does Thrawn actually break faith with the Empire. We. You know, we speculate maybe he's. We know he's using the empire to try and deal with the grisks, but um, it, it it was this weird, different thing that ha- I had encountered. Felt a lot more like Federation, like Star Trek. Oh, you should then read the original mm-hmm. Tim Zahn, nineteen ninety one, because that's always been Zahn's thing. He's always been very more sci fi, yeah, military command hierarchy kind of a thing. Uh, you know, like we got Captain Pelion, sort of the um. Yeah. The, the side of as as sort of Thrawn's yeah. uh, character, you know, very grand strategy campaigns. Mm-hmm. Even a little bit more on the New Republic side as well, we get a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, between like Even... divisions between the military under Akbar and more the political side under Borsk Felia. Right. Uh, so yeah, the Rogue Squadron novel series, like that, or the X yes, the... novel series. Yeah, Stackpole and Zahn are kind of more the military. Yeah kind of harder sci-fi people uh, excuse me but yeah uh, uh, yeah Tim Zong could easily write a great Star Trek novel yeah. um, okay. I, I think he he would be uh, he would be good um yeah I, I I can see where you might come from in terms of like you know there's very much this is how you command a ship there's like you know you know you know, phasers lock on target, you know, that yeah. sort of thing, or hyperspace jumps. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely get those uh, yeah. those vibes. I mean, um, I think maybe what I'm getting at is we get into the head, we see the logic of these Imperial officers using the institution. Not, I mean, it's still different with Santa Ray, for example, in, in uh, Lost Stars, because we also get um, Thane and his, his rebel story. But yeah, with with Ron and Vanto, we like this is what they set out to do. This is what they hope to do. This is what they believe they're supposed to do right, and we're taken along for that journey. The way in Star Trek, we're often taken along for that journey in these military chains of command. Yeah, yeah, um, and Zon's very much kind of classic sci-fi chain of command kind of vibe. Yeah. So I can definitely it's it's what makes his stuff definitely stand out. That's for sure. True. Um, maybe almost to like to the point where it's like, is this Star Wars at this point? Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, because the rest of Star Wars isn't like this, that's for sure. Um, no, no. I mean, um, the Ascendancy stuff, I mean, the Ascendancy trilogy, that's just so off the beaten path. But, oh, I, yeah. like I said before, a few weeks ago, I feel like I'm taking a break from Star Wars when I'm reading it. It's just something else entirely. 
Oh no, I mean, I mean, that's why I, I think it's actually pretty cool because, like, yeah. here's your corner of the world's on, dude. Go nuts. He's built himself, uh, which is great. Yeah, um, he's kind of always been building itself. It's I just now it's like more official. <laughs> um, but no, I I can see that. Um, you know, we're gonna have a lot of gonna be very interesting in terms of like mm-hmm. regard forget uncanny plateau if Lars Mikkelsen looks good like c- characterization wise I don't I think Thrawn's gonna be you know Filoni writes Thrawn very differently if Rebels with anything yes. to go by um yeah. so and Thrawn that- and Rebels is more Star Wars it's just a different kind of villain but a foil for these Rebels who are up against it yeah, yeah. um and I think that'll be very interesting to kind of you know that'll be talk, interesting to talk about, but no, I, I totally get um what you're what you're getting at there. Um, and I hope I'd love to have you read the original Air of the I Empire. Really the first. I really should. Just just because a you can see what that was like. Thrawn really the villain in that book, but also you get more of kind of Tim Zahn's yeah. military kind of viewpoints of things. Yeah. I've read the 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 graphic the comic book adaptation, but. Yeah, I mean, that's good too. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie, that's pretty good. But I would, yeah. I would read the book. Book. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, do. I, I have, I have copies of it. I just, yeah. So much canon to get through. Come on. <laughs> I know, but we got. We should make a time. We should definitely. Yeah, we should true. definitely make mark a calendar date. Um, mm-hmm. on it. Um, yeah. but yeah, was there any other? Was there any other points you want to make? I think I went through all mine. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, I love Star Trek. I'm really intrigued by New Trek and the way. It is navigating this question of is it going to still be aspirational? How can it show a bit of cynicism? Maybe this is another thing is Star Wars is hopeful in its realism and stark cynicism. Star Trek is new Trek is, is starting trying to tell compelling stories that are aspirational, but have mm-hmm. a more realist cynical side to them, strain to them. That both of them, I mean, are ways of people connecting, connecting with what is a very much a more cynical age, especially you know the last two years, last five six years. Oh, um, what do we I'll find? Challenge- and then there's Battlestar Galactica, throws a whole everything in the mix there. Um, Ron Moore ditching Star Trek for that, but anyway, I'll 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 debate one aspect about the cynicism thing, which I don't mm-hmm. know if I agree with completely about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I think to me, cynicism would be if a Star Wars movie ends and the message and the theme is the Empire won. That's yeah. it. That that nope. Yeah, there's nothing we can do. Oh well, time to go home. Just mm-hmm. sit in bed all day. That to me is true cynicism. Like Star Wars has never done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Empire might have like even Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith, the Empire won, but you know, your final scene is Luke Skywalker and Baby Leia. You know, they are the hope of the future. Twin you sons. Know, twin sons. Exit mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, so that to me is why I don't think Star Wars is no. Star Wars. I think realism is a better word than cynicism. To be me, cynicism mean just give up, go home. There, there are Game cynical up. stories out there, for sure. That's yeah, that's oh, definitely yeah. fair. It, Star Wars is hopeful, fundamentally. Hope. Um, yeah. But um, oh, I guess one more one more point because I, I realized you didn't bring it up. Hmm. Um, backtrack a little bit, but I don't care. It's, it's a show. Um, Starfleet Academy got announced. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, very, very exciting because I've been hearing about this room about this for like ever. And I feel yeah. like this has been one of those things of the Trekkies, like they've always wanted to do the show and now they're doing it. I I saw a meme, it was like, weren't they gonna do a show about Shaw? Isn't um, 
Mich- uh, Michelle Yeoh going to do her Philip get her Philip Georgia Section Thirty One show. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. April- oh. April Fools. <laughs> there we, go. we got a comment though from Mr. Thomas Balzer yeah. before we before we exit out. Uh, each of the species in Trek eventually came to represent aspects of humans. For example, Ferengi represented the human greed from current times. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Uh, then I think we didn't cover this one. A friend who loves Star Wars but really hates Star Trek for some reason. Weird. I mean, I like it their all. own, but... Yeah. Teach their own, but I like it all. Um... But yeah, this was a good discussion. I think we're pretty good. Unless you have any final, final things to say, are you good? Uh, I kind of want to start a Star Trek podcast now. I, I would love to join a Star Trek podcast, honestly, but I don't have Paramount Plus, so I would have to like do every all the old stuff. And I don't have time. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's... fun times. Fun times. Well, all right. I guess it's a good time to wrap things up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for, for joining, for watching, uh, for commenting in the comments. Let us know what you thought of our conversation tonight. Do you do you find Star Trek or Star Wars more compelling? Do you find them both equally compelling for different ways, for similar ways? Let us know. Comment in the comments below uh, on all the, the social channels in YouTube. That's not going anywhere. Comment away. Uh, or let us know on Twitter or Instagram at Pod and on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube page or Facebook page. Please do give this video a like and a share. Subscribe to the channel uh, if you haven't done so already. Joel, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at JID2021. Again, JID2021 on Twitter or at the Ion Cannon Pod on Twitter. Um, also, follow us on the Star Wars Underworld Discord. This Friday, we will be having a movie night. We'll be watching Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Speaking of realism and hopefulness and all that stuff uh yeah you can follow me on twitter institutions oh yeah they go for it too got it we got to do a star wars marvel crossover yeah that's that's right for something um yeah anyway uh you can follow me on twitter at neug485 on instagram at mneug1138 you'll get eh, more soccer there more more star wars more star trek all the above uh and of course twitter instagram at ion cannon pod um, next week we are as promised we're doing the Bad Batch season review looking back on the whole season uh, giving our thoughts, giving our feels etc etc but for now uh, set phasers to stun let's blow this thing and head on live long and prosper kapla <laughs> <laughs>